So our, our worship team did a great job this morning kind of setting us up for, for what the sermon is, is about and just how incredible this world is that we live in. Like, have you ever really stopped to think about just how amazing this, 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 this ball that is orbiting in our universe, like how incredible it is? Like, so just think about this for a second. Right now, as we sit here, we are traveling 67,000 miles per hour around the sun. Think about that. 67,000 miles per hour is how fast we are moving around the sun right now. And while we're going around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour, we're also spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. So, I mean, it's just going like this. And so if you think in your life, man, I'm not going anywhere. Listen, you're going places. (laughs) You're going places. You may not feel it, but you're going places. And it's even more incredible when you start thinking about all the things that God has populated this earth with us. You know, there are 7.77 million species that are estimated to live in this earth, and we only really know about a third of them to half of them. Like so many of them we have yet to even uh, identify. They just estimate 7.77 million, which is a rather specific estimation. But, uh, and and, the, and the, the facts about these things that we share earth with are equally as incredible I love this. Sea otters hold hands while they sleep to keep from drifting apart. Aw, isn't that cute? It's a good good tip for married couples, too. (laughs) Cows have best friends. Uh, Some of you, you feel like you're your best friend to your cow, and that's cool, but cows have best friends. Dolphins have names for each other, and they can actually speak those names to one another. Uh, You may know this already. Penguins propose using pebbles. And so they pick like the the best looking pebble that they can find and they put it in their beak and they waddle over and they drop it. And if she thinks that it's pretty enough, she'll say yes. And if not, whoo, too bad, dude. (laughs) You missed out. Uh, any, Any dog people in here? Any dog people? Yeah. So a dog's sense of smell, you know, we know that it's stronger than ours, but it's actually 100,000 times stronger than our sense of smell. Uh, which is just crazy to think about, 100,000 times stronger than ours, but they have just one-sixth of the number of our taste buds. Uh, This is a pretty cool fact. A single strand of spider silk is thinner than the human hair, but it is stronger, in fact, five times stronger than a piece of steel at the same width. So if you were to cut a piece of, of steel the width of a spider strand, it would be five times stronger, the, the spider silk would be five times stronger than the steel. And a rope of spider silk that is two inches thick could stop a Boeing 747. Whew, that's how strong that stuff is. So, you know, whenever I'm ri- running on the Milwaukee Trail in the morning and I get caught up in a spider web and I feel like it's going to knock me down, there's a reason for that because that stuff is strong. As cool as all of that is, the most amazing thing that I have ever seen an animal do is what a puffer fish does to attract a mate. You familiar with this? You ever seen this? All right, so we have a video about this. It's a little long, but take it in because it is amazing. So let's, uh, let's check out this, this video. Unfortunately, this small Japanese puffer fish is dull, almost to the point of invisibility. But to compensate, he is probably nature's greatest artist. To grab a female's attention, he creates something that almost defies belief. (laughs) 
His only tools are his fins. In his head, a plan of mathematical perfection. He plows the sand, breaking it up into the finest of particles. These shells aren't just rubbish to be removed. He uses them to decorate the bridges of his construction. He can't rest for more than a moment, but must work 24 hours a day for a week, or the current will destroy his creation. tidy up and his masterpiece is complete. in nature does an animal construct something as complex and perfect as this. If this doesn't get him noticed, nothing will. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That is amazing when it pulls up and you see that whole work of art. And it's hard to, to not watch a video like that and go, wow, that is amazing. But there are some of us in here this morning, we watch that video and we go, wow, God, you are amazing. And, and if that's kind of what went through your mind as you watch that, or as you think about uh, the beauty of, of nature around us, then you may lean towards being a naturalist. After watching a, that video a few weeks ago, Brad Pontius, our missions minister, said, to a naturalist, that is like reading the Gospels. I mean, it just clearly reveals God's character and his nature and his, his goodness. We're in week four of our series called Move. And over the last few weeks, what we've been talking about is that God has designed each one of us uniquely, differently. He's given us different gifts and talents and abilities, uh, but he's also given us different ways just in our personality and our temperament. He's given us different ways that we best connect with him. What, what we've been saying through this is that God wants us to worship him 
um, in the way that he's designed and created us uniquely to worship him. And so these have come to be known as spiritual pathways. They're, they're different ways that we feel like we best worship and connect with God. And so we've talked about, you know, the, the traditionalist and the ascetic and uh, the enthusiast, uh, the contemplative. And today we're turning our attention to the naturalist, the one who, who just looks around them and goes, man, God, you are incredible. This is, is beautiful. To, to the naturalist, God's creation is his cathedral. They don't need a church to worship God because they look around and they see all of creation is God's cathedral and they feel like they best worship him there. Naturalists find that getting outside kind of refreshes their parched hearts. It restores their soul and it energizes them. They feel like they best meet God outside and best growing, grow in their relationship when they're in nature. I kind of lean towards being a, a naturalist. Anybody else with me feel like yeah, that's where, where you are? Yeah, I got some hands in there. Awesome. Uh, in fact, even to the point where there are days uh, where, you know, I'll be at home and Amber is like, hey, you need to go on a run. Uh, you just need to get out of here and go on a run. And, and, it, and it's not just because exercise, you know, gets some of the endorphins going and gets all the, the toxins and everything out and I feel better physically. Um, but it's also because just being out in nature, it just does something to, to me and to my heart and it restores um, who I am. I feel like the Lord uses that time outside just to refocus. Like it, when life feels chaotic, it just kind of pulls the focus back in. And helps me remember like what really is lasting, what is most, most important as I'm surrounded by the beauty of his creation. And like any of the pathways that we're talking about, um, the, the naturalist pathways, it has its strengths, it has its beauty, but it also has some dangers. It has some, some things that we just need to be aware of. Um, number one, one of the, the dangers is it can create an individualism in our faith. Being a naturalist can create kind of an individualism in our faith. I can't tell you how many times someone has told me, you know, I just, I just connect with God better on Sunday mornings when I'm out on the golf course. <laughs> when, I, when I'm out on my boat on Monroe, just casting a line, reeling it in. That's where I really feel like I best connect with God more than the church. And so that's where I go to, to worship on Sundays. And listen, I, I get that. But I think God's created this community called the church like this was his idea he he showed importance and value to this and and so we oftentimes i think more minimize his intention in the church and more maximize um, our will and what we want to do when when we do that and i've kind of found myself in that place as, as well before i think it's interesting when we look at jesus jesus spent a lot of time in creation connecting with god and so there's value to that, absolutely. But Jesus spent time in creation connecting with God so that he could enter back into community to connect with others. And so we can't minimize the value of the community that God calls us to be a part of as being a part of the, the church. And so, um, so that's, that's one of the dangers, individualism. Another temptation for the naturalist is to begin to actually idolize nature. You can begin to, to, to turn nature into a god. It's, it's one of the reasons why when we get into this topic of, of the naturalist or of like creation and its beauty, some people kind of push back just a little bit because to them it feels a little bit too much like um, panthe pantheism. Uh, 
that there's a big difference between the, the two. Naturalists feel most connected to God in his creation. The pantheist will confuse creation with God. And so as Christians, we believe in the words of Psalm 24.1 that the earth is the Lord's. I mean, Psalm 24.1 clearly says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But the, pantheist, the pantheist says, no, the earth is the Lord. So there's a big difference between the two. One is a sense of belonging to something bigger. The other is that thing that's bigger, that, that thing that becomes our object of worship. It's kind of like, you know, we have some, some parents in here whose kids have gone off to college. Maybe they're going off to college again. It's like the, the mother whose daughter goes off to college. And she walks into her daughter's room after she leaves. And, and she sees all of her daughter's stuff around her. She sees the poster on the walls, the way that she decorated, maybe the dirty clothes still on the floor that she didn't pack up uh, before she left. And so, like, there's evidence of her daughter. Maybe you can even still smell her in the air. There's evidence of her daughter all around the room, even though her daughter's not in the room. The room reminds her of her daughter. And I think the same is true for naturalists. God is not in the trees. God is not in the rocks. But we see God's attention to detail and his creativity in those things. Those things scream out God to the naturalist. And so nature should point us to the God we worship, not be the God we worship. should point us to the God we worship, not be the God that we worship. So what can we learn from our naturalist friends, and what can we learn about God from his creation? I think that naturalists learn their best lessons about God outdoors. We had the opportunity to clean up the uh, courtyard at Parkview Primary last Tuesday, and one of the, the guys, uh, hopefully you saw those pictures. It was great. I appreciate everyone who came out. The, the before and after transformation, it was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, the teachers, administrators were coming through just thanking uh, our church for, for doing that. We're going to kind of take that on more as a project over the year to, to start serving Parkview a little bit more. But one of the guys there said that he is a naturalist. And he said that he learned so much more about, about the nature and the character of God through nature. He says that he learns... Like the truths that he learns in scripture, he, those become like really realized when he's out in nature, either enjoying it or even working in it. And so to him and to other naturalists, the outdoors provides a way of visualizing scriptural truths. The outdoors helps us take what we read in scripture and begin to visualize it in what God has created around us. Now we should be leery of learning a new lesson about God that's not in his word. Like if it doesn't, you know, jive in here, then, then we should be a little bit leery of, of that. But, but nature can help us better understand the God that is revealed in scripture. The monk uh, Bernard of Clairvaux once said, you will find more laboring in the woods than you ever will amongst books. And those of you who lean more towards the intellectual, you're like, well, I don't really know about that. But again, he's a, he's a naturalist. And, and so many naturalists are feeling that same way. You find more laboring in the woods than you ever will among books. Woods and stones will teach you what you can never hear from any master. And some of us, we were like, yeah, I've learned some of those lessons as I've reflected on the beauty of creation. Even the Israelites used their natural surroundings to teach them about God. In the, in the Psalms, the Psalms are kind of broken up into several different books. 
And one of the books is, is known as the, the Psalms of Ascent. And, and so the Israelites, they would, they would recite these psalms as they were going up to Jerusalem for um, one of their festivals or one of their feasts that they would, that they would celebrate a few times a year. And, and Jerusalem sits up higher than its surrounding area. And so a lot of times in Scripture, you'll read about people going up to Jerusalem, um, even though they may be coming from the north. And the reason is because they are literally going up to Jerusalem. And so as people would make this journey from wherever they were to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts, they would recite these psalms of ascent. And these psalms would remind them about who God is and how he provides and protects and takes care of them. It kind of sets their hearts and their minds on the God that they are going to worship in that moment for that festival. And so this is how the first one starts. It's Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along up on the, up on the screen. So this is what they would say as they, as they walk up the mountainside. They would say, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Which, think about this, from a physical and a spiritual standpoint. You ever been on, to, to hike a mountain? There are times uh, where we have been on the base of a mountain and I have a pretty clear view or as I'm driving up to it, I can see the top of it. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, oh Lord, where does my help come from <laughs> to get up that thing? And so for a lot of people, as they were making that ascent, like this is not only like a physical thing of where does my help come from? There's also a spiritual thing in them that's reminding them that, that it's God who gives them courage and strength to walk through life. And then it reminds themselves, my, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Again, listen to this physical language that has a spiritual truth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This passage gives a sense of confidence and assurance in God that they would walk as they are walking up, that they would speak as they're walking up. So the second thing to a naturalist, being outdoors provides them a way of seeing God more clearly. So not only does nature help us visualize what we read in Scripture, but it also helps us see God more clearly. We see His creativity and the diversity of nature. We see His steadfastness and His strength in the mountains. We see His faithfulness in the changing of, of the seasons. Even Jesus pointed to the flowers and the birds as proof that God cares for us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Everywhere we look, we see God revealed and celebrated. I think that's why so many people find that they connect with God so well outdoors. They see his fingerprints on everything. And so much so that, that Paul even says that people are without excuse for believing in God because they see his power in nature all around them. He writes in Romans 1.20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. All of creation reveals that there is a creator, that there is a divine creator behind it. And Paul tells us that, that creation itself takes away any excuses to not believe that there is a God. 
So the beauty and the order of creation points us to an intelligent creator. And I think even, like even when nature wreaks havoc on us, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, even when human nature wreak havoc, Susan talked about this morning with the mass shootings over the last couple of days, like even in those moments, there's something inside of us that, that goes, this is not right. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. And that thing that's in us that says this is not right, this is not the way it's supposed to be, that's God speaking. Because we know that there is a natural order creation and that this is not it. This is not the way that he created it to be. That something's messed up in this world sometimes. All of that still drives us to the Lord. Finally, nature helps us learn the value of rest, teaches us how to, to rest. And I, I think that we get to see that um, so clearly here where, where we live. You know, we get to see all of the seasons, um, even if sometimes it seems like spring is only a couple of days long. We still get to see it for those two days, uh, but we get to experience all of the seasons um, and I think that we see in that that there is value in resting. Uh, that even in the way that God ordered and created the world, he created it to, to rest. And after it rests for the winter, we see renewed life all around us. I think that nature is a reminder that we need to rest too. We weren't made to go 24-7. We won't survive if we do that. We need to rest at times. God designed us with limits, and the more that we embrace those limits, the better that our lives will be. It's one of the reasons why he commands us to take a day each week where all we do is play and pray. He wants us to rest so that we can be renewed. And we see this language of rest and, and, and wrapped up in creation in one of the most well-known psalms of, of all time. It's Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He uses creation, these pictures of creation, to talk about a God who just invites us to, to rest with him. And later, Jesus would model this kind of rest for his disciples and for us. Jesus sent his disciples out on a little missionary journey, sent them out two by two. And as they came back, this is what we, what we read in, in uh, Mark chapter 6. Verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they've been out working, they've been out doing ministry. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. All around us, nature is giving us an example and an invitation to rest and rejuvenate in a world that leaves so many of us just exhausted. So how can we do this? How can we follow the example of the, of the naturalist and learn to find rest and rejuvenation? How can we get out and, and, and see God and scriptural truths more clearly? Here are a couple of ideas that I'm going to challenge you to pick one of these do over the next week or so. 
Really, it all just comes down to get out and enjoy nature. Like the best way to do it is just get out and do something. So you can take a hike on the Milwaukee Trail. It's one of my favorite parts of Bedford. Get out there, hike it, go on a run. Go down to Spring Mill and walk through the woods on the, on the trails. Sit and reflect on an object in nature. And just reflect on what it teaches you about God and His, His character and who He is. Reflect on a rock and think about His steadfast love for you, love that never changes. Sit by water and, and think about how God is refreshing your soul. Look at a tree and, and just reflect on the growth that God has had in you through your life, not just physically, but spiritually. Think about the fruit that he's produced in your life. Look at worms. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi is kind of famous uh, for a lot of things. One of them was for tending to worms. That was one of his pet projects. He tended to worms. And he said the reason why he did it is because he, it reminded him of his humble state in life, his humble place in this world. So something even as simple as worms can teach us about who we are and about who God is. Nature reminds us that God is constantly speaking to us. He is constantly drawing us to himself. And so my challenge to you this week is to get out and enjoy it and be amazed by God who loves you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the beauty that surrounds us, for what it speaks about you, who you are, and your love for us. Thank you that you are so good that, that you invite us to enjoy creation. You invite us to find rest and rejuvenation in it. So not only does it teach us about you, but it teaches us how you want us to live. And God, I just pray that this week we will get out and we'll find a, an opportunity to just enjoy it. Maybe even this afternoon, Lord, beautiful day outside to, to put into practice what we've talked about. May we just get out and enjoy you through what you have created. Lord, thank you for just examples, even like the puffer fish, <laughs> that there is so much beauty that surrounds us and all of it points to you, the most beautiful of all. In Jesus' name. Amen.